Thank you, Sam. Um, when I was uh, looking over the text I was about to preach, I decided I was going to have words with the person who, who assigned such a, a passage, and that word was going to be the word pericope, which just means a whole passage of text. And then Sam said, well, we can take 10 years to you know, do this, or we can do it in, a, in, in bite-sized chunks. So I figure three hours ought to cut it to about four sermons worth of text here tonight. But seriously, it was, it was kind of daunting to actually try and um, to take this much in, because when you're preparing, you're, you're going through a number of texts, you're going through uh, thoughts, you're meditating on it, and then you're figuring out how to, how to compress it all. And even when I was trying to figure out how I, how I was going to even, whether or not I was going to even read the entire text to you, it would, would have taken probably half the allotted sermon length just to read the entire portion. So I do have to kind of budget my time. But I do want to set things up because I think you've probably been going through Isaiah, but I've been trying to um, get in my own mind because sometimes God's word is a little bit um, confusing, I think, in our flesh and because it's hard. It's a spiritually discerned thing. And even even the people in Christ's time had had... Um, were, were blind to be able to see the things that God's word was saying to them, and in part without the Spirit's help. We can often miss what, even if Christ is revealed, what's going on in Isaiah, because it keeps bouncing back and forth between uh, a sense of not quite doom, but sort of the, the, the blindness and the deafness of the people who were supposed to be a light to the nation and the fact that the, the words were going to fall on deaf ears and blind and the people weren't going to be able to see. And then mixed within that is God's constant sense that I haven't utterly rejected you. I'm going to be faithful to you. Um, he even in, 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 in chapter 40 starts talking about a servant that is going to come and fulfill all righteousness and be uh, a light to the people. And then you're thinking, okay, it's just going to be kind of good news. But then it just gets back to, you know, again, how idolatrous the people are. And there's, there's this kind of counterbalancing sense of where the people of God, the Israelites, were intended to be the servant of the Lord, to be a light to the nations, to be a light to the Gentiles, to, to have the word of God. They were not chosen because they were especially um, uh, good in of themselves, but God placed his, his um, favor upon a people, and he, in he intended with the word that he had given them to be a light, to be obedient to this. They were actually serving a God who could see, who could speak. And, and then they get around the nations and they start to think, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm noticing like they seem to be having their crops and they seem to be doing okay. And so then they start to become, uh, they st start to, um, you know, kind of more user-friendly religion where you can decide to kind of um, uh, go with the, the religion of the Canaanites or the Ashtara and all this other stuff and just kind of start serving their gods because you got to kind of hedge your bets and you got to make sure that you're going to have good returns and all these other things. And then, and then they become blind and deaf like the nations around them and they become increasingly disobedient. And, and we're, we're now in Isaiah where he's predicting the, the captivity of Babylon and the and the um, and the message is one of just condemnation and the fact that he's going to carry them away. 
But then the reaction we're going to see is that one of sort of despair from the people, like saying, I've just been canceled by God, right? I've, you, you know, like we, God's written us off, we're doomed now. And, and God's going to say, no, you, you know, fear not. Do not, don't, don't fear this is the end. I've called you by name, you're mine. And this is sort of the this is sort of the bumper sticker. I've called you by name; you are mine. And they're forgetting that he's they, that he's called them by name and that they're his. And they keep acting as if the idols are the things that they want to serve. And God keeps reminding them that these are worthless idols. He's the only one and true God. He can make things happen. And even in his judgment, he's going to be doing amazing things. And he's willing to give everything. To have them back, and this is going to prefigure that which is even the most glorious thing, because he's going to do a new thing on top of this, that this captivity is not only foreshadowing something that God's going to deliver them from captivity, captivity in Babylon, but then looking forward, the, 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 the further vista, so to speak, is that this, this also speaks forward to Christ. And so hopefully um, with that, if I totally kick everything else into the stands tonight because you know I don't see very well and so I have to get all this kind of in my brain on what I'm going to be doing because I can't really write it down and deliver it to you in an effective manner I can kind of struggle through reading through these texts but if you can walk away with that thought then that'll be great so beginning in verse uh, 18 or not 18 of uh, chapter 42 he says hear you deaf and look you blind that you may see who is blind but my servant, or deaf as my messenger whom I send? Who is blind as my dedicated one, or blind as the servant of the Lord? He sees many things, but does not observe them. His ears are open, but he does not hear. The Lord was, was, the Lord was pleased for his righteousness' sake to magnify his law and make make righteousness sorry that's not what it says and make it glorious but this is a people plundered and looted they are all of them trapped in holes and hidden in prisons they have become plunder with none to rescue spoil with none to say rescue who among you will give ear to this will attend and listen to the time to come. Who gave up Jacob to the looter and Israel to the, the plunderers? Was it not the Lord against whom we have sinned, in whose ways they would not walk, in whose law they would not obey? So he poured on him the heat of his anger and the might of battle. It set him on... It set him on fire all around, but he did not understand. It burned him up, but he did not take it to heart. So we see here, um, sorry, again, I, I don't see very well, and it's kind of embarrassing. I know you guys probably don't care, but I do. It's really bothersome that I can't see very well sometimes. But here we see, like, who is as blind as the servant of the Lord, which seems kind of strange, but who is as blind in terms of degree as people who have the words of the Lord and yet don't follow them and then follow after foreign gods and become blind? So it's sort of like if you were walking in the light and you had all this light, how much blinder are you now that you walked into darkness, so to speak, as one who could once see are you guys following the logic like who is 
who is so blind. And in fact, these things are going to happen. And then um, it's sort of like uh, a lot of times we see this in our own country, so to speak. We create these conditions, the people of God included, where we where we sin and then all sorts of things happen to us and then we're living through the consequences and we're pretending like it's all just kind of these 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 kind of forces out there that are just like it's just bad luck that's happening to us like or somebody else is causing calamity or i can look and see so those those babylonians those terrible people how how bad is it that they're doing that and and the lord's saying are you guys like paying attention because i promised in my law that if you disobey i'm going to send you off into captivity you you need to kind of check yourself because i'm the one doing this to you now ultimately the babylonians are the ones that are going to by their own will so god's not controlling them like puppets they're doing their thing they're, the thing they want to but god is removing his hand of restraint from them and he's using the babylonians to judge them and all of this calamity and and, and great calamity on the people of god is going to come upon them and he wants them to see that look i'm the one who has allowed this to happen and you're going to you're going to um, be judged as it were through fire now the reaction of the people, as I said before, is sort of like, oh no, God has canceled us. We've, we've sinned. We're doomed. There's nothing that we can do now because we were supposed to obey perfectly. We were supposed to obey God's law and we failed to obey God's law and now we're doomed. We're, it's all over for us, right? And so this gets back to this way that God continues to talk to his people as a father does to his child. And I was thinking about this you got to be careful about this, especially if there are kids here. And kids, if you're listening, then stop listening at this point. Now, you should always listen to preaching of God's word. But like as a father, you guys, those of you who have been fathers, have you ever kind of felt like, okay, now's the time. I need to really kind of like lay it all out for my kids. Like they, you've messed up here, 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 and here. And you're like going through all these things and you're just like, you're justly, you're justly presenting the law to them and laying down the law and the consequences of the things that they've done that you said that if you do these things and you do not walk by them, then thus shall happen to you if you, you know, fail to do this. And then you're done and then you're, you're, you're feeling good about yourself. And then you start to feel like, man, I really want to make sure that my kid knows that I love them. You ever feel that way? Like you like it's does it's not satisfying as a father to just kind of hammer your kids with the just requirements of obedience because you love them. And the last thing you want them to do feel is like utter despair like, well, I guess my dad just canceled me. I guess I got to go find another parent at this point. Well, you know, that you laugh about this because but kids don't actually think that way. Why? Because they're our kids, right? And hopefully you're a loving father or you're a loving mother, and they never doubt, like, no matter how much they get in trouble, that they have a place to go. But the nature of idolatry and these sorts of things is one, the, the kind of despair that occurs is it turns the law of God from, from one in which we are depending upon God for life and righteousness to where we uh, start to treat God as if he's a taskmaster instead of one who has redeemed us and one who loves us and that sort of thing. And so God, in one sense, has to bring people to life to the recognition that if you are gods, if you are truly gods, then he is your father. 
And the law becomes one of a father who is asking or is demanding these things of you, but one of filial love, right? One of parental love for you. And if you, and if you, if you get out of that, then he's going to discipline you. But the discipline isn't one of judgment and destruction. It's one of discipline. It's one that's going to kind of be painful. It says this in even Hebrews. This is the way, our, this is the way, way we knew our fathers loved us, that they disciplined us. Because the only parents that don't love their kids, the ones that don't love their kids, don't discipline their kids. But God loves us and disciplines us. He doesn't act as a judge to say, you're doomed and you're going to be, you know, this fire that he's talking about is going to be one of purification. But then he kind of comes back in, in chapter 43. I think we're doing okay. Still only an hour left here. But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob... He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the, the waters, I will be with you. And through the, the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I give them in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up. Into the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Bring out the people who are blind, yet have eyes, who are deaf, yet have ears. All the nations gather together and the peoples assemble. Who among them can declare this? And show us the former things. Let them bring their, their witness to prove them right. And let them, heal, let, them, let them hear and say it is true. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, no good was formed nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no other. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you. And you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. So here, here he, here's God comforting his people saying, hey, I'm, all this stuff that's going to happen, you, you deserve it. Like it's going to, there is a judgment coming, but it's not, it's one of discipline. And I am going to bring you through this. I will be with you through this, through this um, time of judgment, through the captivity. This is not the end for you. In fact, you are so precious in my sight that I give up these, I, I've, I, 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 
I prefer you over Cush. All these other nations are like, well, what's the big deal about Cush? Like, well, okay, we're like thinking no big deal, but it's like here we are just like, you know, we're not a big people here. We're not like a lot of people, but it's really important that we're gathered. But it's sort of like if you said like God, God cares about you. As more, you are more precious as those called by his name than all the mighty things around you that can, you can conceive of. We're like thinking, oh, there's nothing really special about me. There's nothing really that God cares about me. And then we're looking around and all these, these influencers, all these really good-looking people with straight teeth, and, and they're ridiculously good-looking, and they're successful, and they're culturally you know, uh, important and that sort of thing, and they're not awkward, and they, 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 they've got it going on and that sort of thing. And God says, no, but you are precious in my sight. And I'll do anything to have you because I have called you by my name. This is the thing. It's not like you're thinking, well, what is it about me that God loves so much? And if you look inside, you're not going to find it other than the fact that God has set his love on you. I, I myself, God says, this is the, by my own being, for whatever reason, God has set his concern and, and you are precious in his sight. That's what gives you so much worth, not, not in and of yourself. Yes, we're all image bearers of God, but there are going to be people who, whom God has not set are precious in his sight. And we don't know who those are, and so we proclaim the word of God because that's the way that people are ingathered. But, beloved, these kinds of things are comfort for you not to worry about, well, why aren't other people as precious in his sight as I am? You, you, all you need to know as one who needs to be comforted in times of trial, in times of affliction, in times where it seems like your numbers are small or like things are getting really bad. Like look at all the news about how people are leaving the faith and how less, how, how culturally irrelevant Christianity is and what are we going to do to, to make Christianity cool to people and that sort of thing. And God's saying, I love you. Not because of anything in you, not because of anything that, that is, is, is ultimately attractive to the world that you can look at and say, well, how is that going to trend on Instagram or TikTok or whatever, like something about you? No, it's because God in his own being loves you and you're precious to him and he's willing to do everything, including sending his own son to die on a cross for you. For no other reason that he will make sure that he has his bride. You know, like, it's sort of like if you ever asked somebody, like, well, why do you, why, why do I love Sonia? And if I gave all sorts of physical characteristics, but there are a lot of really nice characteristics about my wife, physical characteristics. But what if one of those changed? And I said, I really like your eyes. And she didn't have her eyes anymore, which is kind of a gruesome thought. But, like, you know, I would still love her, even if I couldn't see her eyes. And I can't see her eyes as well as I used to, so I still love her. Like, I can't see her eyes as well, like, except when we're really close. But, like, a lot of times I can't see, see her. Same thing with my kids. It's not that they're precious in my sight just because I can see them all the time. In fact, sometimes I can't tell which one's Sophia or Sonia from across the room. But there's something about that that we can't even describe. Why do we love them? It's because we love them. And that's how God has set his concern and his care for you. And he's going to do everything for you. His electing love in Christ is that he has, he has set his 
love upon you as a bridegroom does a bri for his bride. And, and who knows why that happens, but we understand that as those who, ha are, who love and have been loved, what it's like to have somebody to set their affection on us and to be true. And God is, is much more ultimate than every, any kind of relationship that we can compare to in this world. And so we have this great um, comfort to know that God is loving us in this way and that he will bring us through all these things. But he continues in verse 19, behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild beasts will honor me and jackals and the ostriches. For I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I form for myself, that they might declare my praise. Yet you did not call upon me, O Jacob, but you have been weary of me, O Israel. You know, this is one of those weird things, and I was like thinking, ostriches and jackals, like, and, and it's sort of like, well, you know, it's sort of like this desert wasteland kind of thing. And this is, in, in many ways, what we're like. This is kind of the, what, what our hearts are like, what, our, what we are as a people, that we would be, we're sort of like a desert wasteland, so to speak, until, until God's grace brings life out of death. There's just this incredible sense in which God keeps trying to remind people, look, I'm God, and there is no other. And we're like, yeah, no, duh. You know, like thinking, how basic is that? It's like... And I, I probably turn around sometime and then we're going to like, when, we, when we're in our, we're private moments, we're like, oh yeah, I'm kind of dumb that way, right? I kind of forget that all the time. Like it's really easy to say, no, duh, people forget that God, he is God. And then we live our lives as if God, he is not God, right? And that we're looking at these people like snickering at how dumb they are. And God is saying, no, this is what I have to do. I have to bring life in the desert wasteland, so to speak. And I'm going to do these amazing things. And then he says, and then he says of his people who are then worshiping, he goes, but you guys get tired of me. Like, you just, you're bringing your sacrifices. You're like, really, do I have to bring sacrifices again? It's like, really, do I have to go to church tonight? You know, really, do I have to go to church today? Really, do I, you know, and we all feel this in our flesh, don't we? Which we weary of worshiping God. And God is saying, yeah, I know you get tired of me but I don't get tired of you. Isn't that amazing? God doesn't, God doesn't say, yeah, Bob, could take him or leave him. This Bob, not you, sorry. I don't want me. I want to pick on you, Bob Oberlin. I want to pick on Bob Rumbaugh. But what if God was like that? It's like, yeah, you know what? I'm weary of Bob Rumbaugh. Man, that would be terrible. If God was so, if God was so fickle like we are, because that's what we are. We're so fickle. The people of God are like this. We're fickle. And God's saying, I know you're fickle. And if it wasn't for me, you, would, you wouldn't have a chance. If it wasn't for me, you have no power in yourself to save yourself. You have no power to be obedient. Like, oh yeah, I was just reminded I need to get serious again. I need to kind of rededicate myself. And God's like, don't kid yourself. 
This isn't what is keeping you. And I'm not saying, oh, just walk away and thinking, man, this is great. I can just be totally in a sloth and be like, I don't want to go to church. And God is just so happy because he gets to just say, hey, that's okay. I don't, if you don't care about me, I care about you. That's not the message I'm trying to say here. All I'm saying is that this is God knows our frame and that in our flesh we keep turning away. And yet God is the God who continues to in, in, in us, in Christ, to continue to pull us back. And this is why we need each other to spur each other on, because God does not lose interest in perfecting his bride and pursuing his bride. And so we need to remember this, that his, even if his people grow weary of him, he doesn't grow weary of us. He's not, even though we are slack, he's persistent. So we're, we're, we're all the way to verse 44 now. And it goes, and, and we, we read in verses 1 through 5, But now, hear, O Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus says the Lord, who made you, who formed you from the womb, and will, and will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, Jeshuan, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water on the thirsty land, and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. This one will say, I am the Lord's. Another will call on the name of Jacob and another will write on his head, the Lord's and name himself by by the name of Israel. You know what's really cool about this as I was going through this is that this word that he uses, and I probably mispronounced it, I should have made sure I knew it's like Jeshurun. It's sort of like God saying, hey, my righteous one, my righteous ones, I'm going to call you my righteous ones. How is that possible, given everything I've said that he's talking about as people who are these fickle, kind of blind and deaf people? It's only possible if you understand the nature of God's, of God's electing love and the fact that he's the one that brings life out of darkness, light out of darkness, and life out of death. That he can do that to a people who are not righteous. This is actually one of the things, the issues of the Reformation, that God can't actually call something that it's not. He can't, it would be a legal fiction for him to call you righteous unless you're righteous in and of yourself. But God throughout the scripture, and especially as we see in the New Testament, declares people righteous who are not righteous in in and of themselves because he has brought them to himself and taking them under his wing so that their righteousness is his and not their own. But then he then with his work, he makes them righteous. And this is the power of the gospel to bring springs out of the dry land, to to bring life out of death. And this is what God is reminding his people here. And, and, And what he wants to remind them of then is what they're turning away from is as he continues in verses six to eight. Besides me, there is no God, he says. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and the last. Before me, there is no God. Who is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and let it and and set it before me. Since I appointed an ancient people, let them declare what is to come 
and what will happen. Hear, I'm sorry, fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? And you are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. Okay, so what God is trying to make sure you understand, that God who is God, he doesn't know of any other gods besides him. Just so you know, in case you're wondering what, if God knows, like maybe I don't know, but does God know? Are there any gods besides him? He's like saying, no, there's no other gods beside him. Now, why would he have to say that? It's because we act as if there are. And he's trying to remind them of them. And he's saying, you're my witnesses. Because I formed you like me, I, you are a speaking people, you are a, a people of words, because God has given us words and, and, and he gives us a witness of a living God who speaks. And then we go, yeah, but I like the gods that I fashion out of my own. I, I create their eyes and, and I create their mouth. I kind of fashion them. And then, and then you go up to them and you say, hey, how's it going today? God of my own fashion? And you stand there and you're listening and go, come on, speak up. And they can't speak. Why can't they speak? Because they're not gods. They're actually not real. And God is reminding them like, hey, hey, we wanna, you want to ask them what they think? And they're like, hey, what's, what are they saying? And, and then you look at your feet and go, oh, they're not really saying anything. They're, they're not really gods, I guess. Duh. And that's kind of what God is saying is like this big D-U-H, like duh. And he's trying to remind us how dumb we are and the kinds of the things that we do. I know we're not supposed to say that we're dumb, you know, that sort of thing. But we are dumb. We're like, we're, we're really foolish. And God is reminding of his people, like, I want you to go out and you're going to be my witnesses. The fact that you are living and you can speak is the fact that I've created you to be able to speak and declare to the world, I'm the real God out there. And we're like thinking, well, but people might not like that. People might be offended by this world because, you know, there's all these things and people really believe these things. They have these deep things. And, you know, the most important thing is, is faith. you got to have faith, the faith, the faith, the faith. You know, this is really important that you believe and that sort of thing. And, and people are really earnest and they care. And it's like, and God's like, but they are idols. And it continues on there. In fact, he, it's kind of like this whole thing where he... He goes through this folly of idolatry, and I can't read the whole thing because we can't be here all night. But he says, all who, who, all who fashion idols, in verse 9 of uh, chapter 44, all who fashion idols are nothing. And the things they delight in do not profit. Their witnesses neither see nor know that they may be put to shame. Who fashions a god or casts an idol? That it, that, it, um, that it is profitable for nothing. Behold, all his, um, all his companions shall be put to shame. And the craftsmen are only human. Let them all assemble. Let them stand forth. They shall not, they shall be terrified. They shall be put to shame together. This is, this is a reminder. He's like trying to say, look, all these people that you're, you're going to for your idols, he kind of does one thing where there's, a, there's like a metalsmith making these things, and then he talks about this guy who's like says, okay, I've got so much wood, I need so much wood to kind of make myself warm, I need to make a little, I need to make dinner off of it, and no, you know what I'll do with the rest? I'm going to make a god out of it, and then I'm going to bow down and say, thank you for the fire and the, and the meal I just had. And it's like thinking, are you serious? 
And again, we're laughing at this. And, and, and see, this is one thing that I was, I'm trying to kind of figure out. Like, I think we sometimes think the second commandment wasn't so much ag abrogated by, you guys who know what the second commandment is? Anybody? Like, thou shalt not form any idols. You know, you shall not form any idols or bow down to them. Um, and so we think, well, you know, it, it, it hasn't been done away with, but who really practices idolatry anymore? Like, seriously, if, like, I don't think, last time I checked, I wasn't going around, like, looking for statues to, to worship. You guys ever feel like that? Like, well, maybe it doesn't exist anymore. Now, we know that there are, there are people out there that are, there, that, are, that are worshiping Mary. Oh, I'm sorry, they're only venerating Mary. I'm, I, I apologize, like I forgot the distinction. They're only giving hyper service to Mary. No, they're worshiping Mary. But leaving that aside, we feel like, I think we feel like, well, we don't do that, but we do. We, 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 the, 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 the the aspect of us to say, to say, well, God really isn't providing what we need. Like, I'm not sure that God can make this happen or can really take care of me. And so we fashion idols of our imagination. The only thing that is the difference between an idol of wood and something of our imagination is that we've actually put it into physical form, but it starts in the heart, you see. And so we practice idolatry all the time. And so this is something that we need to be reminded of ourselves is the things that we place before God. And God is saying these things that you're turning to, to say, oh man, what about, what about my future? My 401k, it's being destroyed in the market right now. I thought cryptocurrency was going to be my savior, whatever it is going to be. And like, oh, all this inflation is wiping away all my, my, my good years. Like, I'm going to tear down my small barns and build my big barns. And then I'm going to say to my soul, soul, be satisfied. And that's, it's just all forms of idolatry. We're idol factories, as Calvin said. And God is trying to say, look, these idols are worthless, and again, he's trying to remind them because what has God been saying? He's been saying, look, I'm going, to, I'm going to bring you through fire. I'm going to bring you through vast waters and that sort of thing. I'm going to save you. And then we say, okay, all right, that's, I'll take that data point. Got it. But you know what? I kind of want to save myself. I really want to take care of the things. And this is what the idol, the idolater in us in the flesh says, I'm going to take care of it. And God's saying, look, when you try and trust in these things, I am the only God, God says. And we're like saying, got it, but I'm going to go over here to make sure that, that I'm taken care of, that I'm ultimately happy and fulfilled and that sort of thing. You guys following what I'm trying to say? He's trying to show us and say, this is kind of like where, where he's not trying to say, hey, you guys are good to go, but you know, these other people over here, they're idolaters and you need to like, look how stupid they are. And we're like, yeah, we're good. They're stupid. They do, they do all this idolatry stuff. No, he's saying this for our benefit because he's showing us how we keep pulling away from him in this direction. He's trying to say, I'm God. Stop doing that. It's really foolish. And we're like, and, and we need to be reminded of the fact because judgment begins in the house of God. 
It doesn't do us any good to look outside in the world where we know that people are dead in their sins and trespasses and say, what's it going to look like for somebody who has never received the gospel and is dead in their sins and trespasses? It's going to look like they're enslaved to sin and their trespasses. And this is why the, the, the servant of God is very patient and kind, as it says in 2, Tim, 2 Timothy 2.24 to, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 to 25, that we're patient and kind to them because we know they're blind. And we say, well, what do blind people do? They don't see. It's like you don't talk them into seeing. You need, they need the gospel, and so you continue to try and convince them through the things of God. But then you need to look at yourself and say, how come if I can see, as Paul kind of reminds us, how come if I can see that I act like I'm blind all the time and I do the things that are just like them, like I'm still dead in my sins and trespasses? How dumb is that, right? Judgment begins in the house of the Lord. And this is what God is trying to remind us of through the prophet Isaiah, not just for the people there. So wrapping up here, that wasn't too bad. Actually, this is taking a long time. Sorry, guys. Um, verses 21 to 23. Remember these things, O Jacob and Israel, for you are my servant. I formed you. You are my servant, O Israel. You will not be forgotten by me. I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and, you, and your sins like mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Sing, O heavens, for the Lord has come. I'm sorry, for the Lord has done it. Shout, O depths of the earth. Break forth into singing, O mountains, O forest, and every tree in it. For the Lord has declared, has, has redeemed Jacob and will be glorified in Israel. You know, this is, I just want to, if, if you haven't caught any of this thing that, uh, that I've been kind of re reflecting on as I was preparing for this, I was really thinking of Romans in the introduction to Romans where he, uh, Paul in the introduction of his gospel begins in, in chapter 1 to say, for the gospel is the righteousness of God revealed. And then he gets into this... Um, in, the, in it is the, is the righteousness of God revealed. And then he spends an extended amount of time in, in chapter 1 talking about the unrighteousness of men revealed in terms of the way that they suppress the knowledge of the truth of God and unrighteousness. And then it's almost as if these, the people of God are looking on and saying, yeah, right, you got it, Paul. They are dead in their sins and trespasses. Look at all the terrible things they do. And Paul goes, oh, you guys think that you're a light to the Gentiles, a guide to the blind. But don't you sin? And it's almost like this thing, like, how blind is the servant of the Lord? Or how deaf is the one who does that? And so there's, a, there's, there's an inherent judgment of the people of God to remind them again, as Paul then goes to say, all are condemned, and say, well, what's the solution? And the solution is the gospel, that God has become the just and justifier in Christ Jesus. Beloved, if you think that this passage is just calling you to seriousness, and you don't see in this the servant of the Lord who is constantly being 
talked about here that you need a mediator that like you're you're sitting there and saying well what am i going to do because i feel like i'm gonna i feel like i'm gonna leave this place and i'm not going to be serious and i'm going to go back and being blind and deaf and dumb and i'm gonna be idolatrous and that sort of thing i was reminded that god was god and maybe i just need to be serious about that but then i'm afraid i'm going to be idolatrous again and it's like well what am i going to do well there's an answer to that and that answer is the person and work of Christ Jesus who is prefigured here that he was the one who came to a people who were blind and deaf and dumb and even and even among their midst they couldn't even see him and yet he went and and he experienced death for his people and he put to death the power of sin to enslave you and me on the cross and he put to judgment all your sins not because you were looking for it, but because Christ was looking for you. Because Christ was set to save you from your sins. Not because you were righteous or you were serious, but that Christ would say, you will enslave my people no longer. And I will call a people who are not my people and I will bring them in. I know them by name from the foundation of the earth and I will save them. I've set my mind for it like flint for them and I will save them to the uttermost. And we look upon the sun hanging on the cross and we see our sins and even our, our fickleness judged on the cross and with it the judgment says paid in full and this, the power of sin to enslave you any longer is gone. And then he rises from the dead and in newness of life with, with power. You are no longer dead in your sins and trespasses. He has redeemed you. You are his. And that's what you walk away with. Not that you know that you will not be a sinner, but that you as a sinner are united to Christ. And he will move heaven and earth. He has all power and authority. He will not lose a single one that the Father has placed into his hand because the Father has loved you. And the Son loves all whom the Father has given him. And by his Spirit, he will see to it to the uttermost that you are saved. And he will conquer all of his and your enemies to the bitter end. And so we can rejoice with the prophet that God has brought redemption for us in Christ Jesus. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you for this reminder of how deaf and dumb and blind we were apart from Christ, and yet how deaf and blind and dumb we often act as if we still are, as if we're still enslaved. And so we thank you for the salvation that has come by Christ, and we ask that we would continue to look to him as the author and perfecter of our faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.